0: As you can tell, I'm unable to be with you this weekend. I'm in Calcutta, India, ministering at the great church that was built and established by Mark and Huldah Buntain. It's been my privilege this week to represent you as I've been able to see what God is doing here in Calcutta through the generosity of churches just like ours. This week, I've been able to see the Bible school that's under construction that you've so generously given to. I've seen the children's programs and the feeding programs that you have so generously given to. And I've been able to see the countless lives Actually, thousands of people that have been changed because of missions. I just wanted to say thank you. You're in my prayers and you're in my thoughts, and I look forward to being with you next weekend at Life Church. God bless. Well, it's just awesome to be a part of a church that has such an incredible impact around the world, and um, the ministry that Pastor Aaron is is preaching at this weekend is not just known by this church, but known across the world as one of the greatest ministries in the entire world. And, and just to be able to have that sort of impact as a church is pretty incredible. And Pastor Aaron, being on our behalf uh, there, uh, just an incredible opportunity. And uh, I, I love being able to speak on weekends like this. And if I have not met you yet, my name is Ryan Coggins. I'm the executive pastor here, and it's just a great opportunity uh, for me. I want to welcome our West Campus and online campus that are kind of tuning in today as well. Uh, but we're going to continue with the series called Lights and dive right in today. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I think I was a junior in high school, that uh, uh, it was right after school had gotten let out and I was getting ready for cross-country practice. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, Ryan, why didn't you go out for football? Like, that would just make more sense. And I, there's people laughing. That's funny. Uh, that's a good time, isn't it? Self-deprecating humor. But, uh, it, it, you know, I decided I, was, I, I didn't want to get destroyed, so I was going to go off for cross-country. And so I, I did cross-country, and and so it was time for practice. And we were supposed to meet in one of the gyms in our high school. We had like three gyms, and you know, because they built. And one was like really nasty, and then not so nasty, and then new, you know, it was one of those types of things. And so we were meeting in the really nasty one, and so... And that's kind of where we gathered, and then we were going to go out from there. I was the first person uh, to get to the gym, and uh, and so I walk in the doors, and it's completely pitch black in the gym. There's no lights on. There's no windows in the gym. Nothing. I mean, it is completely pitch black in there. And so I'm trying to find. I'm trying to figure out how to turn the lights on. I have no idea how to turn the lights on in there. I'm doing one of those like Spider-Man things on the wall, like trying to you know feel around and try to find the light switch. I've done that in my own home uh, before, but let alone a a gym, I have no idea where the light switch is. And in gyms, there's like all these weird ways to turn on lights. It seems like every gym's a little different. Sometimes it's just a straight-up light switch. Sometimes it's a little like key in the wall thing that flips up. Sometimes it's a key that turns. Um, I'm thinking this gym is so old, maybe it's like, one of those big levers that just, like, Hoosiers, Field of Dreams style, I don't even know. Uh, So that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm like, so I find these light switches, I I flip them all on, nothing happens. Like, okay, I don't know what those are for, what I just did, but um, nothing happens. I find a couple things that feel like little knobs that you could turn. So I'm like, maybe that's it. So I'm turning these knobs, nothing at all. And pretty soon I find what feels like my field of dreams lever that I'm looking for. And so I find this little lever and I'm like, that's got to be it. So I pull it down and nothing happens. And I'm like, okay. Um, I did realize though that it seemed like there was a loud beeping noise uh, going on throughout the entire school. And it actually took me a good 10 seconds to put to, you guys were way quicker than I was. Um, but I was like "That's that 's weird that that 's happening right now I guess I bet and then you know I figured it out real quick that I had pulled the fire alarm um, in the gym. Um, none of the emergency lights in the gym worked though, so it kind of really threw me off, which is a good thing we got a, a fire alarm in there but um, so i 'm trying to so i I decide what any kid would do, and i 'm just going to pretend that i 'm innocent and uh, so I walk out of the gym in, into the flow of traffic, everybody is like evacuating and, and i 'm like yeah, what happened? <laughs> was, is this a drill, do you think? Or is it really a fight? Maybe home ec again. They just let it rip in the microwave or something with, uh, with popcorn or something like that. I don't, I'm trying to pretend like I'm, I know nothing that's going on. I actually walk outside with everybody else like, oh, I guess we better evacuate. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I decided probably the best thing to do right now is to walk directly to my car, get in, and just drive home. And so, and that's what I did. And, and I don't know what I was thinking. Like, Like, that would appear less guilty if I do that. Because I remember a teacher saying one time that you could go to jail if you pulled a fire alarm uh, and it wasn't actually a fire. And so, and of course, that's probably not true. But I'm thinking that. I I don't want to go to jail. That's bad on the resume. I'm going to go ahead and just go home and not deal with it. And it's kind of this funny thing. And in fact, nobody knows about this story except the people in this room, the people last night. So if you could keep that, uh, I... Could still go to jail on that one, so I don't want, to, or at least get a fine. So I don't want anything to happen like that. But um, you know, I've found in life that there are a lot of people that are walking around in complete darkness, and Scripture talks about it all, all over, all over Scripture. There's this big comparison between light and dark, and there's references all over Scripture to how anyone who who doesn't have Christ in their life is walking in darkness. And you look around the world and and there's just over 7 billion people on our planet. And statistics say that somewhere in the ballpark of about 2 billion of them profess Christianity. So that means that 5 billion, at least (laughs) 5 billion people have never experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And according to scripture, they're completely walking around in darkness but what I've found is that the, it's not that they're just content living in darkness, like oh, I'm just going to sit in this big dark gym and it's going to be fine and creepy and weird and like a vampire or something. That that's not at all what they're doing. They're saying I got to try to turn the light on. I got to figure out which of these switches is going to turn the light on. And so they turn to things like like false god, go, excuse me, false gods and false religions. I mean, 25 percent of the people in this world are Muslim, and so they think that you know that's going to turn the light on. Or or some people think that politics, like. If I just get fired up up enough about politics, like that's going to be what's going to turn the light switch on. You know, the government's going to save the world. Um, You know, there's uh, some people that turn towards money. And maybe in our context, in suburban America, that's a lot of what we see. If I can just climb the corporate ladder, if I can just, you know, if I just make a little more money, if I could just get this job or, or do this... everything's going to be okay. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation as a family. If we could just, if we could make this amount of money, life would just, you know, everything would just kind of start coming together. And what we find out is, yeah, sometimes more money, you know, helps little things here and there. But it does not ever, it does not ever turn the light on for us. Some people turn towards drugs and alcohol and crime and things like that. They think that's going to do it for them. And, And others turn towards relationships and you know a lot of single people think that if i just get married that that, that light switch is going to get flipped on and then all the married people think if i just become uh if it, it, not all the married people but a lot of married people are saying if i could just find a new spouse or if i could just not be married anymore that that the light switch is going to come on and they think that relationships are going to solve the darkness that they're walking in and jesus tells us that none of those things are going to are going to turn the light on there's there's only one thing that's going to turn the light on for us. And Jesus gives us in John chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that, or if you have your phones, you can, you know, or your iPads or whatever you want to do, as long as you're not playing games and texting and playing Candy Crush, which is also coincidentally one of the things that people think will turn the light on for them, That Candy Crush, it becomes their God a little bit. I'm I'm, I'm going to start pointing people out because I know you're addicted to Candy Crush and some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's a good thing. Remain in the darkness on that one. It'll overtake your life. But Jesus gives us just an incredibly hope-filled statement in John chapter 8. I want to read it starting in verse 12. I'm going to give you the punchline of my message today. I'm going to give it to you right up front, and then we're going to backtrack a little bit and talk about it. But John chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. That is an incredible verse. I'm going to try it at the West Campus because nobody responded to that. West Campus, that is an incredible verse. Oh, yeah, I can hear them just roaring over there. Wow, they they were outdoing the Germantown campus a little bit. That's an incredible verse, that I am the light of the world. And anybody who's walking in darkness, the five billion people in this world that are walking in darkness, that they can no longer walk in darkness if they will simply accept the light of Jesus Christ into their life. And I I have found that many people have heard this verse before. In fact, probably many people in this room, you've heard this verse before. It's one of the more quoted verses uh, in Scripture but what's interesting is, uh, is what I found is that a lot of people don't know necessarily the context in which this verse was given. There, there's a story that precedes this verse, and this, this verse is kind of the climax of this story, I believe. And the preceding 11 verses of John chapter 8, we're going to read through that uh, today, but the preceding verses, it talks about the woman caught in adultery. And uh, if you've ever read that story, it's, it's, it's one of the most grace-filled stories in all of scripture. And Jesus, right after this story, he says, I am the light of the world. As if to say, even though so many people are walking in darkness, if you would just turn to me, I am the light of the world. And so I want to read this story today. We're going to read a little bit and, and talk about it and kind of read through uh, this story today. So, John chapter 8, you can follow along on the screens as well today, starting in verse 1. It says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. And I want to just stop right there for a second, because I've seen some weird things happen in church before. I mean, I've grown up in church my whole life. I've seen some weird stuff. I mean, I... um, you guys remember offertories? Anybody? Like during the offering, um, you'd have somebody sing a song. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not poking holes at that. Um, so you'd have somebody sing a song. How many people here have done an offertory before? Don't be ashamed. Come on. I've done an offertory before. I played my trombone for an offertory before. It was terrible. Um, I know some people, you didn't know I play trombone. I just, every once in a while, I got to tell you about one of my many talents Trombone—you know, nobody even knew about that. T- I, I probably uh, would get blisters all over my lips if I tried playing today. But uh, an offertory. I, I remember some offertories that have derailed quickly, and it's very awkward in the entire. Uh, everybody doesn't quite know what to do, and every—you know—I've seen people fall off of stages before, and it's—it's uh, it's like what I don't quite know how to react to this. I've seen some weird things happen in church before. I've seen human videos go awry, and if you don't know what a human video is. I'm not even going to take time to explain it today, but I've seen some... I've, have, has anybody seen some goofy things happen in church before? Raise, raise your hand. You've seen some weird things. Not at Life Church, of course, but you've seen them at other churches. No, I'm just kidding. You've seen some just awkward moments in church where it's you just cut the tension. You could cut the awkwardness with a knife. I mean, it's just it's just awkward. But I've never seen anything like this. And basically, what to the, the set the scene, Jesus is teaching in the temple. It's kind of like there's a church service going on. Jesus is up there preaching and teaching, and through the back doors or whatever, there's these men that bring in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act, okay? So I don't know what that all entails, but all I know is she might not have been fully clothed. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but regardless, um, they bring her in. She's completely caught red-handed. She's guilty, and they bring her in and interrupt the church service basically, and Jesus is up at the front. I can't imagine what I would do. I'd probably say something like, you know, Pastor Aaron's actually not here this weekend, and so you're gonna have to call him later, because I don't know how to deal with this right now. This is getting a little weird, Um, but it's a little awkward what's going on, and this is what they say to him in verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to her, uh, says to stone her, what do you say? See, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. The first thing that we see, if you're taking notes uh, today, the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that sin is exposed. This woman was guilty. I mean, she was guilty. She had sinned. She had crossed a line. And it had to have been one of the most embarrassing moments of her life to be brought in front of all these people and to be called out for her sin, But let us not forget, she, re- she was guilty. She had been living a life of sin. And I think it's important that we realize for, for us to experience the light of Jesus Christ, our sin's going to have to be exposed. And that can be, that can be incredibly awkward. I, I, I bet it won't be ever as awkward as what this lady had to face. But it can be uncomfortable because all of us are sinners. The Bible says that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of of God. We're all sinners. How many people here, I'm just going to do a little, little little show of hands. This could get a little dangerous, but uh, a, little, a couple of the Ten Commandments. One of them is, thou shalt not lie. How many people would say, I have lied before? You'd raise your hand. And all the people not raising their hand right now, why don't you just look at them and say, you are a liar. <laughs> and then, we're, then all of us, okay, we're all on that Playing field. How many, how many people would say that the Bible says thou shalt not steal? You'd say, I've I've stolen something before. Okay. All the people not raising their hands, would you empty out your purses? I want to see how many life church pens you got in there. Because we go through a lot of them. So I know there's people stealing in this church. You're stealing our life church pens. It's not good. But well, the Bible says that all all of us have sinned. I don't mean to make light of sin, but I am here to say that all of us. I think we can all agree. Let's not let's not get weird about it. Let's not pretend that we don't have sin, uh, that we have not sinned before. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter five verse twelve that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. See, God, when he created the world, when he created man, he never intended us to have a sinful nature. He created us in the image and likeness of God without sin. But when Adam sinned, it, it, it ushered in sin like a virus into our lives. And it spread to everybody who has been born since, which is everybody that has been born has, has had this virus of sin in their lives. That's what Romans chapter 5 Verse 12 says, and I don't mean to belabor the point, but it's important to recognize it because unless we see ourselves as sinners, we will never see our need for a Savior. Unless we understand that we are all sinners that need the grace of God, we will never recognize that we do need the grace of a Savior. We do need the light of Jesus Christ. And and these guys here, they're trying to trap Jesus they're, they don't really, they don't care so much about the woman caught in adultery. That's not really their, what they're going for. They're not trying to, like, condemn her so much. But they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him in, in, a, in a hard, difficult uh, situation. Because if Jesus says, no, 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 don't stone her. That, that's not what we need to do right now. Then he would be, it'd be like his, his reputation would be on the line that he condones sinners, that's, that's what they would say. They'd try to use that against him. And if he said, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, she's a sinner. The, the, the law says that you're supposed to stone her. Go ahead, stone her to death. And then his reputation of being filled with compassion and grace would be on the line. And they would say, you're not compassionate. And so no matter what he did in this situation, he was set up for failure. It was a catch-22. He was going to lose. But Jesus responds in a way that is absolutely brilliant. He says to them in... Uh, the Bible says in verse 6, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, just to stop right there, I would love to know what Jesus wrote that day, and we could sit here all day. We could hypothesize and theorize. We we could throw out all these different ideas about what was written. I don't know what was written. I I mean, I, I can't tell you definitively. Um, the word written there is literally uh, the word "categraphin," which is translated as to write down a record against. It's not just that he wrote something down, it's that he wrote down a record against. I tend to believe that he wrote down the sins of the men who had brought the woman in. Um, but regardless of what was said or what was written in the sand, um, it read their mail. I mean, it was convicting to them. In verse 7, it says, They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Have you ever caught yourself in a double standard moment before? Have you ever, if you are a parent in this room, you've probably done this where uh, you say something for your kids not to do. And then you do the exact same thing or something is, is okay for you to do, but it's not okay for them to do or, or just different moments like that. I remember when I was, uh, it was about seven years ago, I was youth pastoring in a city called River Falls, Wisconsin, and we were doing a lock-in. I'm just going to be honest with you. Thank God that I am never going to do a lock-in so long as I live. Lock-ins are the bane of my existence. I get so crabby about 3 a.m. It's not even funny. But we're doing this lock-in from midnight to 3. We were renting the high school gym. So we go to the high school gym and a bunch of guys were playing football. And I made this rule right at the beginning. I said, don't throw the football high and don't punt the football. No punting allowed because there's all these lights and I do not want to have anything... Happen with that. And so everything's going well until the very end. I decide, I, I wasn't even thinking, I decide I'm going to punt the football. I just had this urge. And so I punt the football and it sails. It was a good punt, but it was a little too good because it nailed one of the lights and the light came crashing to the ground and shattered everywhere. I mean, I would not be standing here today if that had hit a child. I'm just going to tell you right now, I mean, that would not have been a good situation. And all the guys, no, everybody was fine, but everybody was looking at me like, ah, you know, you told us not to do that. They're all giving me grief about it. But I was caught red-handed. I mean, it was like, I just told you not to do that, and I'm doing the exact thing that I said not to do. And these guys are faced with one of those moments where they're completely guilty, he said, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. And, and the word, uh, when it says without sin, it's actually translated as has never wanted to sin. If, not only have you, if, if you've ever sinned or if you've ever wanted, if you've ever even had a thought of sinning, then go ahead, let it rip. You should, you should stone this woman to death if you've never sinned before. We continue reading in verse 8. It says, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. We don't know exactly why. I imagine maybe they had sinned a few more times that they they were the ones to leave first. But until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. The second thing that we see in this story is that grace is extended. If you're taking notes, that's, that's such, such an awesome thing. Um, that's such an awesome part of this, this passage of Scripture is that grace is extended. It's in this, this moment that we see the overwhelming grace and the mercy of God. And, you know, I, I think so often um, I can be guilty of this, that we, we look at God as Santa Claus, and hear me out on this. You know, you hear the song, he's making his list, checking it twice, look, looking to see who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. And if, you, if you're not good, if you're not nice, you're going to get a lump of coal in your stocking. And if you're really good, you're going to get a present underneath the tree. And I'm sorry if there's any kids here. I won't burst the bubble on the whole Santa thing or whatever. But um should probably be in life, kids anyway, but it's okay. So uh, looking to see who's, who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. We think, we think of God the same way. That he's sitting in heaven and he's got this list and he's just looking down. He's saying, is, is this person nice? Are they being good enough? And if they're good enough, they'll get a present. And if they're not good enough, they're going to get a, a, you know, a lump of coal. They're going to hate their gift. It's going to be terrible. And we, we project this image onto God. And here in scripture and in many other places I could point to, that's not the character of God at all. It's a complete distortion of the character of God. Because Jesus here in this passage of Scripture, he says, no, 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 I have grace to cover your sin. I'm not here to punish you because of your sin. I'm here to give you grace today to this woman who was caught in adultery. And what I love about this story is that we see that Jesus is completely full of truth and he's completely full of grace at the exact same time. And everybody tends to swing on the pendulum one way or the other, uh, typically. That you're either a truth person and you're kind of like, man, they, they ought to have it, and they should be punished for their sin, and this, sh- this is going on, and you're kind of one of the, those truth-type people, I'll be honest, I fall guilty of that often. Where I look at somebody who, who's, who's not living right according to my standards, and, and I'm like, man, they, soon enough it's going to catch up to them. I mean, it's not going to I can tend to swing on that side of the pendulum very often if I'm not careful. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have people that are grace people. And, and there's this big debate between truth and grace and all this. And, and um, you know, grace people that they say, well, you know, you know God's, God's grace can cover that sin. And it's okay. And don't put your rules on me. And, all, you know, you kind of get a little, bit, a little bit soft on sin and things like that. And Jesus says it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and. And he says, I am completely full of truth. Because to the Pharisees, they came in with, they were truth people, very much self-righteous truth People, and so he he dealt with them with truth. And he said, Okay, if you think you're so good and so awesome and you're without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. But the woman caught in the act of adultery who needed grace, he displayed grace to her. See, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, and we beheld his glory, the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. It's not that sometimes Jesus is, is full of truth and other times he's full of grace. He's at the same exact time. He's completely full of grace and truth. And so he extends grace to this woman, not so that she can keep living her life of sin. He extends grace to her so that she can leave her life of sin. And in verse 11, he says to her, go and sin no more. Now go and sin no more. That's a powerful, powerful verse today. And, you know, I think when I read this verse, um, you know, it's easy to look at it and say, okay, Jesus is kind of acting like a parent right here, and he's saying, he, so he, he, he shows grace and compassion to this woman, but he says, but you better not do it again. And he kind of, t- but that's not at all the tone that Jesus takes. He's not saying, now you better not do it again. He's saying, you don't have to do it again. You can leave that life of sin you don't have to live a life in complete darkness again. It's, it's a hope-filled verse. It's not a punishment. It's not what I would do to my kids and I'd say, okay, I'm going to, this is one time, get out of jail free card. But if you do it again, then it could be punishment. To that. that's, not, that's not how Jesus is approaching this at all. He's saying you don't have to live that life anymore. Now go and sin no more. And the reason we know that that's the tone Jesus takes is because of the next verse. We read it earlier. I'm going to read again. Verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He, he gives us an incredible amount of hope in this verse. And the last thing, if you're taking notes today, is that hope is restored. Hope is restored. He says to this lady, You, you no longer have to live in darkness, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. And this verse is, is a great verse, but it's, it's not personal until you accept it. Until you accept it, it's, it's Jesus is the light of the world. But when you make it personal, when you accept it into your life, that Jesus becomes the light of my world. Jesus becomes the light of your world. See, it's important that we understand that light always defeats darkness. It always wins. Light always defeats darkness. Not all the darkness in the world can put out one single light that has the light of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it like this in John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has never been able to put out the light. That's an incredible verse today. That regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how much darkness might be surrounding you right now, that there's nothing that can put out the light of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. That brings an incredible amount of hope today. And there's no doubt that there's people in this room that are that are walking in darkness. Maybe it's because of choices that you've made. And if we're just going to be honest today, that this woman was walking in darkness because of choices that she had made. Maybe it's because there's, there's sin that has overtaken your life. And And you're walking in darkness today. And what I'm talking about, maybe it's even brand new to you. You've never even heard anything quite like that before, that Jesus is the light of the world. Maybe today it's because of circumstances. Uh, Maybe it's just that there seems to be darkness all around you that's just crowding in and and kind of flooding your heart with darkness. Maybe it's because of a a trial or a circumstance that you're going through today. I can tell you that... um, because I think so often you say, Ryan, what do you, you know, you're a pastor, isn't, life is just so great. What do you, what do you know about darkness? And I, I, I don't know, I've, I have had a great life, but I can tell you that I've been in the, I've been in the hospital room when the doctor tells you there's no heartbeat. You know, I've, I've gotten the phone call when they say somebody that's very close to you has been tragically killed. I mean, I, I, I've been in those circumstances before, and can I tell you, that it's in those dark moments, it's in that darkness that Jesus' light shines the brightest. It's in those moments where we need more than ever for our hope to be restored. And we need to be reminded today, no matter how long you've been a Christ follower, that even even the most mature Christ followers can have a moment of darkness, have darkness come into their life and tend to want to squelch that light. And you need to be reminded today that there is hope in the light of Jesus Christ. There is hope today for you. It reminds me of uh, a song you used to sing as a kid. This is the light of mine. Remember that song? This is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to sing it for you today. But the second verse, it says, don't let Satan, see, I actually, I don't say blow it out. I go it out because it's just more fun as a child and as an adult, I found. But don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. And I think so often, it, it, it can be easy to let Satan blow out our light, to let the darkness just overcome us. Now, I just want to encourage you today. I don't have a, a big, profound um, exegesis of Scripture for you today. This is a very simple message. But this time of the year, I have found that there are a lot of people that darkness tends to just crowd into their life. Maybe they'd start to remember uh, you know, memories of people that they've lost in the past or they start to dwell on, on things in their lives that they no longer have or they, they, they start to let darkness just creep in. And I would just encourage you today and say the same thing Jesus told this crowd and told this woman who had been walking in darkness, that I am the light of the world. And if anybody walks in darkness, they don't have to walk in darkness because they can have the light that leads to life. That's an incredible amount of hope for us today. Regardless of of what you're facing, there's no situation too dark for Jesus. I love what Micah chapter seven, verse eight says. says, don't gloat over me, my enemies, for though I have fallen, I will arise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Psalm chapter 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? I mean, we could just talk all day about the awesome hope that we have with the light of Jesus Christ. The question is for us, will we receive that light into our lives so that our hope can be restored? Let me pray with you today. With every, if you could just bow your heads, close your eyes. I, I cannot pass up an opportunity to preach a message like this and not allow you to respond in some way. Because I, I know that there's people in this room, and there was half a dozen last night. I know there's people in this room. I know there's people at the West Campus. I, there might even be people, people watching this at home right now. That you just need your hope to be restored today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you have never received the light of Christ into your life before, or if you know that maybe, maybe Satan has blown out your light today, but you would like to have that relationship with Christ you would like to experience the light of Jesus Christ in your life today I'm not going to embarrass you I'm not going to call you up front I'm not going to call you out or anything like that I just with nobody looking around every head bowed, every eye closed would you just slip up your hand just so I can see it just real quick and say Ryan I want that in my life yes, yes yes anybody else you just say I want that light in my life yes, yes thank you there's thank you Thank you. Anybody else? Just say today. I, I just want to experience that in my life. I'm tired of walking in darkness. Anybody else? Thank you. There's probably eight or nine people. That's awesome. That is awesome. The Bible says in Romans chapter ten that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that we will be saved. And so we believe at Life Church that a prayer doesn't save you. There's nothing mystical about a specific cadence of words or prayer, but that if you believe what I'm about to just help you and walk you through a prayer, if you believe in your heart what you're about to pray, the Bible says that you will be saved, that the old is gone, the new has come. Any man who's in Christ is a new creation. And so I want to just, out of, out of um, just support for those who raise their hand, could I just have everybody in this room just repeat this prayer with me right where you are. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you, I believe that you are the Son of God, lived a sinless life, died for my sins, and rose again. Come into my life, fill me with light, so my hope can be restored, amen.